This is the Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for coming to the library. Uh, my name is Troy Swanson. I'm one of the librarians. Today's event is entitled The Future of Work. Uh, it's part of our One Book, One College series on Stud Circle's book, Working. Uh, it's an excellent book. You can get it at the bookstore, and obviously you can check it out from us. So if you haven't done that, I would uh, encourage you to do so. Um, it's a big topic today, the future of work. I think our panel members are going to work to try to tell us what that means. We're going to, it's about an hour discussion. So obviously we're not going to be able to go too many millions of years into the future um, in one hour, but we'll try to keep it within um, maybe one million or something. Mm-hmm. So with that, I'll turn it over to um, our moderator, uh, Paul Laducci, and we will move forward. Thanks for coming. Um, as Troy said, I'm Paula Ducci. I'm a full-time faculty member in our counseling center, and um, I'm glad to be with you this afternoon to lead this panel of experts talking about um, the future of work. We hope to uh, give you a little peek into um, where we think work will go in maybe the next five, ten years, and maybe even beyond that. Um, and as, as we know, sort of uh, the economic conditions and advances in science and technology government programs and globalization are part of what continues to shape the world of work every day and into the future. So we wonder a little bit about what will that look like, what will some of the jobs be um, in the future, how will current jobs perhaps change. One of the things that we do know um, or that's been said um, is that a third of the jobs that exist today didn't exist 10 years ago. A third of the jobs that exist um, today won't exist in 10 years, and a third of the jobs that um, don't exist today um, we haven't even been created, so, um, or, or haven't thought, been thought of, actually. So um, before we get started too far, let me ask our panel of experts to introduce themselves and their role at the college. Uh, my name is Kevin, <coughs> excuse me, my name is Kevin Navratel, I'm a political science instructor. Hi, I'm Sandra Gibbons. I teach biology, general biology 111 and 112 on campus. My name is Lindley White. I'm the Dean of Workforce Development and Community Services here at Moraine. My job is to uh, work with business and industry uh, to train people who are already employed, dislocated workers who have lost their jobs, and again, pre-service individuals who at some point in their life want to become employed. Hi, I'm Larry Langelaer. I teach in Management Information Systems. I teach computer programming, and I also run a lot of classes for young children to learn how to do robotics with Legos. And I think uh, some of the themes that um, I work with those kids about will be relevant as we talk today about the future of work. Thank you all for being here today and sharing your expertise with us. Um, before we get started with the questions to the panelists, I just want to lay out some of the, um, maybe a, like a little bit of a framework, especially coming from the uh, employee perspective and as students. Um, part, part of my role at the college is to look through that lens with you at where work is going to go. Um, as a career counselor, I hope to um, share with you how to prepare yourselves for what's ahead. 
So some of the things that we know and we've mentioned already, the pace of technology is only going to accelerate and create advances across a lot of different industries. And we'll hear about some of that today as well. Those changes and those advances in technology will continue to demand a highly skilled workforce. So that's you guys. Um, it's going to change how businesses organize and it's going to impact the nature of relationships between the employer and the employee. Um, the traditional job, um, we've heard, is going to kind of go away. It's going to shift. So instead of this package uh, of um, uh, the traditional job packaged around roles and responsibilities and benefits, we're going to see um, work shift into something that's a little more decentralized and specialized and that not and more non-standard in nature. So it's going to matter more about what you do, not where you do it. So the focus will be on your employability as, employ as opposed to employment. So it's what you're going to bring to the employer and how you can sell that to the employer. It will be a little bit more of a, um, a generation of entrepreneurs in that sense. And not necessarily that we're all business owners, but that we're going to sell ourselves to employers. Globalization is going to be another factor that influences us. Um, it's going to be more extensive and it's going to stimulate competition for you as the workforce and also for industries. The minimum level of education is going to rise for many occupations as the fastest and largest growth within a, will be in occupations requiring an associate degree or at least some um, education or training beyond high school. Keeping pace with that is going to demand from all of us and uh, especially as for you and the generation entering the workforce for the first time, higher levels of education and greater emphasis than on training, retraining, and ongoing lifelong learning. Employers, in turn, will be demanding that highly skilled, educated workforce. And some of the things that they're going to be looking for will be analytical. We've heard about this, critical thinking. Your teachers talk about this all the time. We need to build our critical thinking, problem-solving skills as well, and the ability to understand and manipulate data. Don't we all love to hear that, those of us who are like social science majors? Oh, math. Um, the, the, you'll also be expected to have highly interactive skills. So in other words, this is talking about or means uh, communication, um, collaboration, teamwork. Another thing that we see in the classroom, we try to get you working together with each other and to collaborate on projects. Uh, of course, established competencies in technology. You use technology a great deal in this environment, and that's changed quite a bit just in the last five years, for example, or ten years even more. Creativity and innovative thinking is really going to be critical because as things continue to shift so rapidly, the, the, the best prepared workers are going to be people that can think on their feet. They, they're able to create new knowledge and apply that new knowledge. They'll be proactive in, in being able to come up with ideas of how to adjust and adapt to the changes. Um, we'll also be looking for that adaptability and flexibility in response to just the constant flow and shifting in the structure of work activities. Global understanding and that ability also um, to communicate across boundaries, and I don't mean just um, cultural boundaries, but within the organization, different departments, different um, groups within the organization, as well as outside of the, of the organization. So a bigger picture look, being able to see, have a, have a large um, global awareness of what's going on around you. Um, I'd like to have our panelists help us with like the more specific details of this, and so um, I want, I'll um, ask them to get us uh, looking at 
what's behind uh, these, these realities for all of us as uh, part of the workforce. Kevin, perhaps you can shed some light on the role of the government in leading and building the foundation for economic growth and jobs creation. Sure. Uh, and I, I would like to start off with a broad picture before I get into specifics, and maybe you could help with uh, specific questions that you have about the role of government. But one thing that's, I think, clear is, is uh, as much uh, disagreement we have in the United States right now, maybe between Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals, there is an overall agreement right now that government has a role in, in help fostering and creating a competitive uh, economy that produces jobs for its citizens. Um, I just noticed a poll from last week, a Bloomberg poll, that showed that 70% of uh, the people who identify in the uh, Tea Party movement uh, believe that the government should have a role in, in creating more jobs for the American people. Um, so even this Tea Party movement that believes the government's getting too big and socialist in nature still believes that the government has a role. So I just wanted to you know, uh, highlight some of these particular initiatives that maybe government could be involved in to try to promote economic uh, competitiveness in the, in the United States. And, and, and a little bit of a historical uh, uh, perspective, too, because in the past, the United States government's used a lot of uh, federal tax dollars to try to promote economic opportunities. Um, in part, they've done this through infrastructure projects. I mean, uh, just going back to the 1800s with railroad and, and canals and in the 1900s with highways and the internet interstate system, there's been a lot of tax dollars that have been used to try to um, pr promote a more efficient and competitive economy. Um, there's also been large-scale investments in education, uh, and definitely with the GI Bill and uh, tax dollars going to high schools and to colleges to try to promote a more educated and skilled workforces. Those two areas, I think, are real central to, to making the United States competitive in this global economy now. Uh, we have reports that 75% of our schools have structural deficiencies. So you could have construction jobs rebuilding schools and obviously schools to educate uh, uh, children and, and high school students and college students that will help create some of the skills that Paula referred to earlier. Other infrastructure product. Uh, infrastructure projects. Some of this has been started already with the stimulus uh, programs by the federal government, but uh, there's estimates that upwards of $40 billion a year are wasted due to congestion in our urban areas. And obviously, being in the Chicagoland area, many of you are familiar with that type of congestion. It's just not It doesn't help us have a competitive workforce when we have people sitting in traffic. Um, so the infrastructure and education would be two big areas that I think government has a role in. Um, energy, green jobs, um, I think some of the other panelists are going to talk a little bit more about that, and I'd be happy to fill in some, some details if you have any questions with those. Um, there's been a lot of talk about in this global economy also about the role of the government and trying to promote free trade, trying to promote exports, um, trying to ensure that other countries like uh, China, for example, doesn't manipulate their currency uh, and try to gain unfair trade advantages over the United States that could result in trade imbalances for the United States and, and cut jobs. Uh, that could be something we could discuss in more detail. Uh, state and local governments. Uh, federal governments often provide aid to state and local governments. A big part of this most recent stimulus bill, from last year anyway, was dealing with aid to state and local governments. 
Um, as an Illinois resident, you are probably already aware that there's a $13 billion uh, deficit that our state has. Uh, amongst the 50 states, I think we're looking at about $180 billion uh, in deficits, and these deficits need to be addressed. Um, they need to be ba- uh, the state uh, budgets need to be balanced, and oftentimes when they balance these budgets, they're, they're going to cut jobs, whether those are teaching jobs or firefighter jobs or police jobs. So this is going to be difficult for uh, the workforce if the state governments are cutting back at the same time the federal government's trying to promote economic opportunities. Um, there's also tax incentives. We've had a more recent stimulus bill that's uh, dealt with tax incentives for small businesses, uh, hiring people who have been out of the workforce, a $1,000 tax credit, also waiving the first year of companies' uh, payroll taxes, that 6.2% that they pay for payroll taxes. So that would be another opportunity. Um, and maybe we could talk more about the banking system if anybody's interested, but making sure that there's a stable uh, credit system that small businesses and consumers can get loans to, to buy their goods and services can also be another way to promote economic opportunities. So I'll start, I'll finish with that, and if you happen to have any questions, I'd be happy to elaborate on any of those examples. Since, since we know that technology is going to play a huge role in the shape that work takes down the road, um, Let's talk a little bit about what are some of the developments in technology that are likely to influence the future of work. I'll go ahead and address that. Um, One of the things that we hear about all the time are these high technology advances, and we see them in our lives on a daily basis. You know, if you pull out your iPhones and your other smartphones that you've got, you can see it directly there. You know, obviously we may not think about how that's going to impact our work life in the future, but What's happening is a lot of new industries have been created in your lifetime uh, that have become economic engines for our country. But there's also another half that we need to think about, which is how technology not only has created new industries, it's eliminated a lot. So, you know, just going back in my lifetime, which is longer than some of yours, uh, we used to, when we pulled up to a service station, we didn't pump our own gas. Okay, and that's not necessarily a major technology, But I give that as an example because technology is going to start to eliminate more and more of those jobs at the lower end um, that used to be there. We've seen it in manufacturing already where robots, you know, I mentioned earlier when I introduced myself that that would become a theme of some of the things I was talking about. We can automate a lot of those jobs and they go away and they never come back. So so that technology is a double-edged sword when it comes to job creation. Yes, all of a sudden new industries are being created, but we also have to think very hard about what's going to be eliminated with those technologies because when it comes to what, how we have traditionally thought about approaching our career, you know, many of us think about getting ourselves ready for a job. Okay. Well, the fact is, we're not just going to have, you know, 99% of you are not going to have one job throughout your career. Um, Currently, they're saying that 12 to 15 jobs throughout your career is going to be more the norm. So if you're thinking about that job that you're getting yourself ready for right now, what are you doing to think about jobs 2 through 15? Okay, that's, that's really something to ponder. You know, the types of skills you're going to need to prepare yourself for the next job and the job after that. Because technology, uh, as Paula mentioned, uh, is not only advancing, but it's advancing at an accelerating rate, which means we are going to have to get ourselves ready for that next job faster and faster and faster throughout your lifetime. So that that's some of the things to be thinking about. Um, certainly, 
part of what I feel that the underlying skills you've got to be preparing yourself for, uh, you have to be versatile. Okay, You should not be just preparing yourself for that single job, as I already said, but you've got to be thinking about the broad-based skills that will help you in any of these careers that we can't even know are coming down the road. Uh, things like creativity. You know, If you think about what cannot be automated away, well, the human creativity is something that machines are not good at. Uh, will they be good at it 100 years from now? Maybe, but it's, it's not a, a concern that's immediately on the horizon. Um, customer service, communication ability, uh, especially person to person. Those types of things are what you need to get your re yourself ready for and have that good general education basis. And then also that willingness and that dedication to ongoing lifelong learning. Okay, when you start thinking about there will be a job two, a job three, a job four, and so on and so forth, we need to start thinking about, well, to get myself ready, well, I've got job one, I need to be working on getting the skills and, and continually staying up to date uh, on what's coming down the road and getting ready for it. This may surprise you, but Larry's actually younger than I am. <laughs> and I will hold myself up as probably the example not to follow. In the 1980s, I was a computer instructor at a community college. Today, I have a hard time using this little device here, except to make phone calls, okay? I have a 28-year-old daughter who's giving me lessons, which is important. My point is, technology passed me by somewhere. I don't know when it was. Don't find yourself in that same trap. Always, you know, continue to learn new things. Keep up with the, the technology. This is important for you because when you go to, for a job, and I'm going to be the employer component here, okay, the Internet and other technologies have changed the way that employers are going to look at you. When you come to an employer, they're going to not just ask you the same questions that they ask us in our younger years. You know, what can you do for me? What type of skills do you have? Uh, what is happening right now in this local area when you do a job interview, if you make it that far through the telephone interview and the application and all that, and there will probably be about 300 people applying for the same job you are. That's the, that's the market we're in now. Okay, they will sit you down in front of a computer and you will pull up a Facebook page. They want to see what's on your Facebook page. Why are they doing that? They're looking for a reason to exclude you. What do you do in your private life? Technology's changed the way that the HR offices look at you as an individual. That's significant. Yes, I'm on Facebook. My daughter showed me how to do it. I'm one of the people that's ruining it for you, okay? One of the older people on there, you know. But uh, this, this is important, okay? How many of you currently have jobs right now? How many of you would like to earn more money than what you're doing now? Keep up to speed with all the technology. <laughs> Thank you. Sandra, maybe um, you can fill us in about um, what's how technology and sciences might intersect and, and what the future holds and from the influence of science and technology. First, don't be afraid of science. It is your friend. So that's a lot of times I get the students in class. It's the last semester. I was waiting to take biology until I had to. Hmm. Biology and science and math are going to be an integral part of any career choice that you pick for the future. So you're like, well, I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to be a physician. I want to be a marketing person. I want to sell a product. Say the products in the future might be linked to green technology, green fuel alternatives. You need to understand the biology behind that to be able to explain it to your future uh, clients that would be purchasing your product. So it's going to be very important for students to, when you are picking electives, think outside the box. 
take that extra math class, take that extra science class. It's not only going to give you the background that you'll need to understand the new technologies that are coming down the road faster than you might realize, but it's also going to give you analytical and critical thinking skills that the employers are going to want. Okay? You're also going to be very involved in the future of being independent at collecting data. And like we mentioned with um, the sources that students tend to use for their personal life, like Facebook, you have to begin to get training through your college career in weeding yourself away from Wikipedia. Okay, so we need to use more valid sources to collect data and learn how to process that data on a daily basis and uh, use it in not only your classrooms, but being able to understand what would be relevant information in the future and information that has no substantial information behind it. So uh, the future employers are going to be wanting you to have those skills coming into the workplace. Like we had mentioned, many of the other individuals, um, it's going to be tighter and tighter job market. So having, keeping track of those kinds of skills is going to be important for you in the future. Well, we've mentioned green several times so far. So it's maybe a good time to really talk about um, that whole green economy and that green job sector. I mean, what, what do we really mean by that when we say that? And is it just, you know, in energy or is, is there um, room for a green job in other kinds of industries and sectors of the world of work? Um, while I was doing some research on different roles of green technology and green work, it isn't just alternative fuel supplies. There's going to be a lot of, like we had mentioned, construction retrofitting so that, uh, say, the school would be able to have better insulation to better conserve uh, their costs. They're looking to save money. Uh, they would have to um, retrofit things so that they would be able to save some of that money on their heating bills and so on and so forth. So it's not just uh, someone that's designing an alternative fuel or putting up a wind turbine. There's going to be plumbing that needs to be retrofitted, electric, uh, electrician uh, issues that are going to need to be retrofitted, construction work. So the buildings that we have right now, we're not going to certainly be knocking them down to make them green. That wouldn't be green. That wouldn't be sustainable. But, you know, re-putting uh, them back, uh, modifying what we have currently to be able to be more energy conserving in the future. So a lot of times people think that the green industry is going to take all of those welding jobs away or all of the electrician jobs away. I think it's going to enhance that a lot in the future. Because even if you are putting together the technology to have wind turbines to produce electricity, you still need welders to make those. You still need metal workers to design and put it together, electricians to wire it. You still need computer programmers to write the code to run them. Okay? So I think it's a bit bigger than just saying we're going to produce a different kind of fuel source. It's going to affect all sorts of different areas of the workforce. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, to follow up on what Sandra is saying is I'm a proponent of the, of the windmills, and if you drive up and down Illinois, you see field after field going up of them. It seems logical to me that wind generates electricity, and that's a very sustainable thing. And again, from the employer standpoint, I know that the skill base needed to be a technician that uh, does the maintenance on those is hydraulics, pneumatics, computers, electricity, electronics. These are classes we already do. So we can take general classes and turn them into a technician that can work on, on the windmills. I know that there's one technician for every 10 windmills. So if you're putting up 1,000, that's a whole lot of people to be employed. So this is a good thing. Then as I'm coming to work this morning, I read a, a newspaper article that says in 20 to 25 years, the windmills will be obsolete. What technology is going to replace them? 
I can't even imagine. So again, that's how fast that things are changing. So I'm going to add to that also. Not that I have any answer to the question, but I'm going to put some something out there for you to think about, and that is. Not only as we get renewable energy sources, but if we get free and renewable resources, I think that's going to change the paradigm of the way businesses operate. Uh, with these windmills, with solar power, as those become more predominant, the energy cost has the potential to go down. And as we start adding electric vehicles that are powered off of that sort of stuff, you know, the, the equation of the way we do certain things is likely to change. So, like I said, I don't have the answers of what those changes are going to be, but I think that's one of the impacts we're going to see over the next two decades as this power changeover happens to uh, green and renewable resources, as some of them are free and the energy equation itself changes. We're going to be able to do things that maybe consume more energy just because we have more energy. mentioned earlier too about um, just the whole idea of globalization um, as we look at global competition how is that going to stimulate um, jobs job prospects for our US workers global competition well, something happened last month that hasn't happened in um, about three decades or two decades plus, and that is the uh, number of manufacturing jobs in the United States actually showed a positive increase. Manufacturing jobs started leaving this country back in the mid-1970s, and in I think it was 73 or 74, Illinois lost 255,000 manufacturing jobs, which were good-paying jobs, and that, that has been continuing from then until now. Um, the the change in the cost of energy, the change in technology is causing a lot of things to shift around. And uh, again, we have a lot of manufacturing in this part of the, the southwest suburbs, so that's an important component. Most of the businesses I work with are in manufacturing, so that's a positive thing for me. So th those are jobs perhaps that are going to start returning to this country. Uh, as far as the competition goes, you have to understand that you are competing not with your neighbor down the street here, though. You're competing with the Chinese. You're competing with Koreans. And uh, they have some competitive advantages. You have some competitive advantages. And quite frankly, your competitive advantage is your knowledge. So, again, acquire as much knowledge as you can, as fast as you can. And I think that sort of comes into play when you look at um, issues of education and science and math standards. So there is going to be significantly more required of you in those two areas so that we could meet the global needs and compete against other countries that have more emphasis on science and math in the education system. So I think as we progress, if we want to, again, stay competitive, take that extra math class. Take that extra science class so that you would have those skills that maybe someone else might not have in a different country. This is not just going to be competing, like you mentioned, against neighbors and friends. It's going to be global competition. So the more education you get, especially in science and math with the new technologies, the beneficial uh, results will be huge for you. Also, at the other end of the spectrum, there's going to be a lot more consumers created globally. So the better we understand those global needs, the more we can not only compete against, but compete for those consumers. So understanding not just what American needs are, but understanding the rest of the globe as these emerging countries um, 
improve themselves and, and, and develop better economies, they're going to need more goods and services. So that's something that uh, we've got to just, you know, continue to think beyond our borders in that direction also, not just how do we uh, compete against them in terms of, um, you know, the revenues, but also how do we go out and sell to them and, and look at them as new markets too. Can I add something? No. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here because it's something that I read about, and I'm, I'm hoping one of you can um, add some comment to that. But also uh, along the lines of globalization, one of the things that um, I ran into was this whole idea of um, kind of independent uh, work uh, would be location independent, I guess was the term, location independent. And I would think that globalization could have an impact on that too, learning to work with people not only within the U.S. Um, so your work team might shift. We talked about earlier um, that the traditional job is going to kind of go away. And you might be working with different groups of people that are not even in your organization necessarily. And they, you might work with a different collection of people at any given time on any given project. So I wonder if anyone else might expand on that or, or, or talk a little bit more about the idea of globalization as impacting our work team or how we work with others, who we work with. I have a pretty good example of that. I've worked uh, with some companies doing follow the sun uh, manufacturing. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but especially in AutoCAD, uh, when you're working on a project in AutoCAD, you don't have to be at the job site or, or at the customer site. You can work on it anywhere in the world. And uh, the follow the sun concept is that uh, in America here in Illinois, we could have a company in Washington, D.C. that wants us to build a building. So we're working on the plans right here in the southwest suburbs. But once our work day is done, the work is not completed. So we shift it over to India is usually where it goes to. And they work on it while we're, it's nighttime here. So there's basically 24 hours working on these plans. So your work team is, is not necessarily here, but it's India or China or someplace else. And then when they're done at the end of their day, that's when we're coming back online and the information is transferred back to us electronically and we continue where they left off. That obviously requires a lot of standardization and great communication. But that's an example of what you described. And I'll talk from the technology side of things, which is I think that we're going to see one of the driving forces be kind of Facebook-like. Uh, we're not far away from being able to do video conferencing at all times. Okay, your phones you typically have uh, a megapixel camera on them that can be used for video, and all that we're really lacking is the bandwidth to do that constantly. And, and I think you're going to see it probably start as a social phenomenon as. Uh, as the bandwidth becomes available, as your as your phones move from 4G and 5G, and, and and that's really what they're talking about is the ability to put through that amount of data. Well, all of a sudden, when when we start doing it in our personal lives, it's going to be very easy to transition that over into the business world. And, and I think that that's largely what we're seeing in terms of that not already happening. The technology is there; it's just not widespread enough. And once it becomes widespread, we're going to see that really take over. It makes a lot of economic sense for a lot of reasons. You know, among them being maintaining that location downtown or whatever where everyone can get together only made sense because we need to talk and we want, we always will. We need to be able to collaborate. Well, if the technology allows that to be done without renting that brick-and-mortar space, why do we need it? So I think we're going to see that happen pretty quickly once that takes over. I guess I would just add to that that uh, when I was talking about infrastructure earlier, it's not just 
concrete pavements and, and roads and so forth, but it's also the broadband networks. And it's interesting, the United States as a, a creator of the Internet is really behind as far as uh, access to broadband and high-speed Internet and so forth. So it's also developing. Part of the stimulus plan was, was attempting to increase that uh, uh, broadband access, especially in rural areas. But, but that's a great point. You have to have the networks in place to be able to, um, to have that competitive advantage with other countries. Kind of along those lines, um, and, and during this um, sort of recession and uh, economic downturn that we're in, we see more companies using temporary workers and part-time workers. Um, I wonder if any of you could comment or would comment, be able to comment on the idea of whether or not this will become more of a permanent reality as opposed to something that's just in response to a downturn. Companies for years have been using temporary workers as a way of screening people before they actually hire them and give them benefits on payrolls. Uh, here's, here's a change in rules or a change in reality that's happening in, in this area right now. Uh, Kevin talked about government funds being used to build bigger and better infrastructure, and that's happening in a big way in the southwest suburbs. And as companies are bidding on those jobs, manufacturers and the road people they're bidding on jobs and they're bidding less than what it costs them to actually put the road down or the building up and the reason they're doing that is they can keep their workforce intact it's better to lose some money and keep your workers with you knowing that in a year or the rumors are 2013 will be the year that we actually come out and start doing better uh, in our economy as a nation but that that's unique that people are bidding on jobs intentional knowing that they're going to lose money on each of the bids that they're going on but uh, you know that's an interesting sign that they want to keep their work workers in place uh, knowing that the human capital is that important so that's that's a little different I've not seen that before I would just add that if the trend you're talking about is true, and when you have uh, non-full-time employees, you typically don't have benefits. And then again comes maybe perhaps a role for government of providing more of these kind of safety net, whether it's health care or unemployment insurance when you are transitioned or displaced out of work. You're talking 12 to 15 jobs over your lifetime that might require retraining. The United States really lags uh, in comparison to Western European countries and the percentage of their GDP that they devote to retraining and education of displaced workers. So that's perhaps another role that the government can provide. Just interesting that I um, heard about um, this whole idea of the, of the temporary worker or the freelance worker. And in New York, there's a union of freelance workers, and so they um, put together their own benefits package and um, you know have have space that where they can talk about their work as freelancers. So they come together as that sort of work group. And I um, I think as you mentioned healthcare and uh, the globalization of uh, situations in that respect, uh, having the government have a take, a take a larger role in providing healthcare for individuals, that opens up a whole other area of potential career choices for people. Uh, they've been estimating about how much more um, medical students they will need in the future as general practitioners. Right now, a lot of the medical students go into the specialties because that's where the higher paying jobs are. But as more people are now going to be um, seeking health care because of the um, access to health care and health benefits, there's going to be a greater need for general practitioners. 
And I think what that will lead to, we'll see this in a rather short period of time, is not that we don't have qualified students out there. There certainly are. There's plenty of students that are more than qualified to go to medical school, but the bottleneck comes in how many seats there are in the medical schools. So I think what you're going to see is opening up of more medical schools, medical schools that are saying, you come to my medical school, you're going to be trained as general practitioner to go out there and meet the needs of the, um, the larger amount of people coming into the health, uh, seeking health care in the future because of the access to, uh, to the insurance these days. So that's another thing you might want to think of if you sort of shied away from it. You know, um, I'm not certain if I want to go into the health field. Is that going to be a good place to go into? I think it's definitely going to enhance and get larger in the future. Well, I'll also add that um, regardless of which direction we go, whether it's more freelance work or whether companies are going to make that commitment, it's still going to be important that you be versatile and that you commit to lifelong learning. If you're out there competing with everyone and everyone's kind of on a freelance basis, well, you've got to be the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And if a company wants to make that sort of commitment to you to, to retain you because you are that human capital that Lindley mentioned, well, same sort of thing. They're going to want somebody who's worth making an investment in. So no matter what, you've got to get yourself prepared for that. So, you know, I guess we talked about a little bit about that um, freelance, but let's talk about, like, the small business itself, you know, the small business owner. What, what do we see about that in the future for small businesses and the challenges that they might be facing? The number of small businesses are exploding right now. Again, with the change in the economy, a lot of people that were working for companies got laid off. They look at the, uh, the idea of starting their own business, taking the knowledge that they've acquired working for someone else and making their own business. Uh, it's, it's a reality. Uh, the trick right now is working with banks and getting them the finances to make it happen, and banks are still not loaning money in a very, uh, very nice way, I'll put it. Um, Bigger businesses right now, again, I was at an economic development forum the other day, and the, the, the speaker was talking about that the, the real, real large corporations with a change in technology could become a thing of the past. Now, that just confuses me, but again, as things get more decentralized and people become more and more in, uh, small business owners, um, and you don't need to be in the same location at the same time, you know, there's a change happening right now in the business world that I, I can't get my arms around or my mind around, but the way everyone does business in the world is changing. Uh, and again, it goes back to what Larry said. You have to be, you have to be the best of the best in order to make sure that you're, you're at least leading that group. So uh, if you, I leave you with anything today, it is the rules are changing. So, you know, look after yourself. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, pop in here with some questions for us. Anyone out there have questions for the panel or would like to uh, offer a comment? Yes, Bill. Well, I, I was very impressed with your list of trends at the beginning. And uh, maybe if Troy was on the ball, he would have an overhead with the up there or something. But uh, <laughs> that was a great list. But there's two that... I thought of it, I don't think you mentioned except by way of illusion, um, feminization around the world I think is a, is a very big trend in the world of work and, and it has implications for family life and society. And I'd like to hear what people might say about that. And then, uh, 
the quest for meaning in a changing environment. The expectations that both workers and employers have around, around the meaning of work is changing. I'd like to hear some thoughts on that trend. Anybody want to take a stab at those? Your, your first statement was feminization of the, of the world's workplace. Is that? Well, just to, uh, it, it, it uh, transcends the workplace. Women in the world of work, that's a big phenomenon. But in some sense, that's maybe a little old news mm -hmm. uh, in this country, not so much in other countries. But uh, the way that the, the feminist movement has really uh, changed how people understand what they're doing in the workplace, at home, in the community, all around the world. Yeah. Well, in World War II, women entered the workforce in a huge, huge number. And that continued up until about uh, 20 minutes ago, I think. So uh, uh, in America, that obviously was, a, was an interesting moment in changing the way that, that we, uh, we look at work in this country. I think the Internet and technology is now causing another shift right now that I'm not sure what that is. Um, anybody else want to? So this is uh, Dr. Linda Brandt uh, from Counseling is talking about um, micro. Say that again for me, Linda. Micro investments. Investments from from women, especially from women donors and investors in, in particular. So women who are investing in micro industries, especially in third world countries. And in women. Yeah, women's industries and, and just women in general. So, yes. Yes, the comment in the front here is that uh, being able to speak a foreign language is going to be another critical skill, and especially as we talk about the increasing globalization um, and being able to uh, communicate across boundaries and with coworkers who may not be in our country. Yeah, good point. Yes. So the comment here is that um, people, students in other countries, are, are learning English, and
so that also that um, students from around the country or around the world are better equipped in math and science areas. Yeah, I saw a statistic that said China is the largest English-speaking nation in the world right now. So. Yeah. I think the idea, too, is uh, with the comment uh, about the competition from highly educated workers from around the world who can speak English. It's, it isn't just that they can come to the United States, they can stay where they're at, mm -hmm. because companies can go there because of the technology that we have. We can, yeah. we can have that dynamic workforce that doesn't need to leave their home their homeland um, but yeah I think it's a big idea to bring up the competitiveness of our of our education system again the government has a role in that too of, of trying to not just building more schools but making them more uh, competitive we have 70% uh, of our students graduate high school which uh, puts us at 26 out of the top 30 countries um, I was just reading a, a study the other day that showed that the average 15 year old and the United States is one year behind the average 15-year-old in Canada. And, you know, based on the trend that Abir just brought up about the number of college graduates in India and China, in conjunction with uh, those two statistics, it doesn't bode well for the United States students. So, you know, many people, Larry, have brought this up. That you have to be good at what you do. You have to be the best to really be competitive in this global workforce. If, if I could just digress for a moment back to Bill's and give my own comment about the feminization, um, and then I see a couple of other hands around too. Um, I, I guess I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but as I'm kind of thinking about that, I, I, I think the workplace is more collaborative, for one thing. Um, there, you know, we see teamwork as one of those valued skills, and I, and I think that's the impact of women, <laughs> personally. My bias is showing uh, that women are collaborators. I mean, it's how we learn. We learn with each other as opposed to um, being wanting to do it independently. Um, the other thing is I think we're more family-friendly in our workplaces. We, be, we still have a long way to go in that regard, but I think that, you know, that that's part of the feminization of work is um, you know, uh, family-friendly a little bit more where men also can take a family leave uh, for to care for a family member or a child. Um, as well as just general equity. So I, I think that's some of the influences of women. <laughs> it's my personal opinion. Thank you very much. Um, but again, I, I saw you had, you had your hand up for a little while, right? Would you like to say something? Um, something a little more long term but in the short term I think that, um, I think in the short term you're still going to need a lot of the general practitioners right away and we aren't certain how things are going to sort out yet 
with um, the payment to the doctors in the specialty areas. So I think definitely in the short term there's going to be to avoid some of the waits and things like that for people to see um, a physician. There's going to be a need to expand that. And then also maybe to think outside the box and uh, more people that are as physician assistants are going to be important in the future. Nurse practitioners, things like that are going to play a bigger role. And then how things, you know, pan out with the specialties, whether they'll drop because they're not going to be funded as well by insurance in the future or not, we'll have to see. But I think definitely in the short term, you're going to need a lot more people dealing with the general public issues of health. Sandra, um, just so that the rest of the audience could hear what has come in, could you just give a little brief summary to um, what you were responding to there? To that, uh, because of the change in the health bill, and let me know if I'm wrong, that uh, the insurance companies may not be funding the specialty doctors as high as they might have in the past. So people will turn away from going into the specialties and want to go where the masses will be uh, first being met for the health care needs at the general practitioner level. With the educational system right now, the emphasis is going to be on science and math, and the standards are definitely going to become more unified. Part of the problem globally with our country not meeting the standards of other countries is that the science standards here in Illinois might be different than the science standards in Arizona, which might be different than the math standards in Texas, and so on and so forth. So when we talk about that we're not being as globally competitive in science and math, it depends a little bit on where you're looking, and also that ties back into um, other social issues as well. So I think there's still going to be a need. I know people are getting a little bit scared now, especially in the education system, um, but I think if you can cross-teach more than one subject, that's going to be a huge benefit uh, of being able to market yourself. So say you, your passion is history. If you can also put that emphasis a bit on math, then you would have two potential subjects to be involved in teaching. Or if you are, you know, interested in um, art of some sort but could team that up with English, you know, I think people that are a little bit more broader based in their discipline are going to have a better chance in the educational system. But look for a lot of changes and a lot more training um, in science and, and math areas of education. Here's some additional information if you're going to go into teaching. Uh, there is a movement right now nationally to standardize across all 50 states the same requirements for every high school, okay? And um, again, what Sandra was saying, science, math, and engineering are the hot topics right now. The government's going to push money towards those. We do not graduate enough scientists or, or uh, people who have the math and, and the other skills like that. So focus on that. And special education is always a hot topic. We've also addressed the need for lifelong learning. So when you think about it, that means educators are going to be even in higher demand than they ever have been. When you think back to how much continuing education did your parents get through their life, think back to your grandparents, and, and now think about where you're going to be going. Well, to service that need, we're going to need a lot more educators to make that happen. And despite what we hear about the layoffs in, in the state of Illinois, um, Secondary teachers, middle school teachers, and elementary school teachers remain on the list of the occupations in Illinois that will have the most annual openings. Um, preschool teachers, for those who um, 
So, so those are occupations with bachelor's degrees, but um, even preschool teachers, um, so people with associate degrees and, and um, vocational training teachers in that area. And I'll mention that um, community colleges are starting to be talked about as the graduate education or, or that degree that you're going to go seek after your bachelor's degree. It's not that you're going for another associate's, it's that community colleges are poised to react to trends quickly, much more quickly than, than your standard research universities are. So that's another area if you're going into education to think about getting yourself into areas like that that can react quickly to the trends. And, and I think just today in the New York Times, um, we saw that uh, President released two, uh, will be giving $2 billion to community colleges over the next four years or over a four-year period, uh, now especially for retraining of dislocated workers. But um, we're getting attention, in other words. <laughs> there, yes? Um, I'm a hairstylist, and I have about 12 educators that come to me now. Mm. And seven of them, the trend seems to be that they'll get laid off right before they get tenure. Mm-hmm. And this seems, this seems to be happening the past couple of years. And what do you have to say to students who are going into education and are scared of just repeating that cycle when they go into the workforce of being hired and then being laid off right before they hit their tenure? Anybody have a reaction to that? Is that, is that an administrator answer? Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, the question was uh, about teachers and someone who uh, works in an industry where they meet up with a lot of teachers and who come to their business and talk about um, they work up to the point of almost being tenured and then they're laid off. Um, and what do we think about that? And so security, I think, is one of the well, again, I'm being told that you're the generation that's going to change jobs every two to three years anyway, and you're going to have 15 or 20 or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the future of that holds. But, uh, you know, I, I've not heard that, at least not in this area that people are getting laid off right before tenure. Lots of people are getting laid off, but it's, it's downsizing. If you're the last one in, it's kind of like manufacturing, last one in, first one out. So those are the non-tenured people. And, and that's kind of unique with the downsizing of the economy. I've heard that trend too, and primarily K through 12. Uh, we were talking about the dynamic workforce earlier of uh, part-time employees, and it's a it's a cost-saving measure. And I think you know how do we address that? I think it's a societal issue. We have to put pressure on school boards, or we as taxpayers have to be more willing to devote more resources to education so that they can have full-time employees. Uh, who are going to be part of the institution instead of, you know, people funneling in or out or, you know, uh, substitute teachers pulling up the slack, adjuncts, part-timers. I think that it's important to have more full-time instructors. It's going to be more expensive for the school systems to be able to do that. I also think it's a matter of uh, governmental priorities. You know, right now what I, what I think we're having is a short-term reaction to the economic problems we're having at the state and federal government levels. You know, it's just, just a fact that they've got to cut areas uh, and in areas that really matter a lot. I think everyone understands that that matters, and we just got to figure out a way to fund it properly, and then you'll see that trend go away. I think, I think we have time for just one more comment, if you would. Uh, 
<laughs> yes, you will be able to start collecting Social Security when you turn 90. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, some of the economics that are being discussed right now, that within the next so many years, there's going to actually be 50 million job shortages. You know, we, we need 50 million more people in the workforce uh, to cover all the people who are retiring, etc. here. And it was proposed uh, a couple of weeks ago, another seminar that I was at, that uh, there's about 20 million people that will be coming into the workforce through the regular system, so we're actually 30 million short. But the idea is that the baby boomers aren't retiring. We are retiring. We're going to draw whatever money we can, but then we go back into the workforce and work one, two, or three days a week. And that is my goal, by the way, uh, if anybody's interested. <laughs> you know, and then we go do a job that we like to do. We suffer through life doing a job that we don't like to do. That is not me, by the way. I like my job a lot. But um, that, that $30 million is kind of a nebulous, bogus number because people are not going to retire. You know, you can retire at 55 or even younger in some cases. You're too young to retire. You're going to go do something else. This was the first year that Social Security uh, paid out more than they brought in, and it wasn't scheduled to happen for several more years, but because of the economy, it led to that. I don't think you'll see Medicare and Social Security the same uh, programs by the time, I'm guessing, anybody under the age of 40, by the time that they get to that, that age. I think they'll increase the ages of retirement or cut back on the uh, payouts of, the, of those two uh, programs. Yeah. Well, we're, we're really out of time, and I appreciate your participation today and thank our panelists for sharing their expertise and ideas with us. And good luck in the future. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.